Okay, Hebrews. It is the most difficult book in the Bible to understand. And that's pretty much agreed on by most people who preach and teach and study. Uh, if you buy, uh, go to look for books on Hebrew, you'll find fewer books, you'll find fewer sermons. It's not a favorite book because it's difficult to understand. And there's quite a lot of controversy over some of the passages in it. And we'll get to those as we go through this book, uh, the, the book of Hebrews. So if you have your notes, number one, the people who were the audience of the book of Hebrews were believers who were part of a home church in Rome. Now, that's not a absolute. That's a, a, a good guess in Rome. Rome was a uh, place where the church grew rapidly at the very beginning of the church. And Paul writes a letter to, uh, to, to the church in Rome, the, church of Ro- uh, the book of Romans, is which is the largest letter, most uh, uh, theological letter, the deepest letter that he wrote. Uh, to the believers that were in Rome, made up of probably literally hundreds of home churches. Uh, They didn't meet in buildings like we have. They met in people's homes, which were relatively small. So the congregations were small, and they would get together out in open fields uh, for larger meetings. But generally speaking, they were small groups in homes. Hebrews 13, 24, Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those uh, Those from Italy greet you. And so it's just a suggestion that the church... Uh, that this letter is written uh, to is in Italy, which Rome was the church in Italy. It was the big one. Acts chapter 18, verse 2, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And so Rome was a key city, and many of the and there were lots and lots of churches that were there in that city. Number two, Hebrews was probably originally a sermon, not a letter. And so Paul, uh, we use the term the epistle to the Romans, the epistle to the Corinthians, because uh, everything he wrote was written and mailed. This was probably a sermon before it was a letter, uh, preached by a pastor at a home church in Rome to his little congregation, and either the copy he wrote or someone that listened to it wrote it out, and then it went like wildfire. Uh, Letters in the New Testament were included in the canon of Scripture because they uh, had great respect for the author. That's why all of Paul's letters are included. Uh, This letter, nobody knew who the author was, but because at its very early point, everybody was reading it, and all the early church leaders uh, gave it high credibility, it got included in the New Testament because of that. Uh, it was, it was uh, very, very popular. It went everywhere, all over the place. And so it was a sermon, not a letter. You can see a number of verses. Hebrews 2, 1, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. To what we've heard. Hebrews 2, 5, For he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. Or speaking. Hebrews 5.11, concerning him we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Oh, we, we're having a tough time because you don't hear so well. Hebrews 6.9, but beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking, though we are speaking in this way. Hebrews 8.1, now the main point of what has been said is this, what has been said, spoken, um, 
Hebrews 9, 5, above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat, but of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So as you read through the book of Hebrews, uh, you'll, you'll notice even more references to verbal communication. And so because we read it in the Bible, most people don't even stop and think uh, that it was originally given in a spoken form rather than a written form as most of the New Testament was. Number three, the believers who were in this church were mostly Jewish. And so your first guess would be the title, the book of Hebrews. So the word Hebrew, in case you didn't know this, of a nationality of a people group comes from a man named Eber, E-B-E-R, seven generations before Abraham. But the term Hebrew came from that individual who was basically declared to be the first Hebrew. Now, the first person to be given the word Hebrew title-wise was Abraham. Nobody was called a Hebrew until Abraham. And so as you read about him, you'll see the term Abraham the Hebrew. And so he was the first official Hebrew in the sense of a tribe people group. And so you all know that everybody came from Adam. And then there was a population explosion. And then everybody got killed except Noah and his three sons and their family. And then they grew again. And then they were scattered and all came up with, uh, God gave them all different languages. They scattered all over the world. And so from one became many nationalities. And so today you have Asians and you have Africans and you have Europeans and all coming from a small number of people. And so way back seven generations before Abraham, Eber. And so it's a little trivia question. You might ask somebody, where did the word Hebrew come from? Most won't have a clue. And you can say, there was a dude that lived shortly after Noah whose name was Eber, and that's the father of the Hebrews, though Abraham is the first Hebrew by title. Um, so Jesus was crucified on a cross, and he was buried, and he rose again. And the crucifixion, the betrayal, took place at what Jewish holiday? Passover. I'll answer for you. Passover. Pentecost was the day that Peter stood up and preached because the Holy Spirit came. Pentecost is called Pentecost because it's 50 days after Passover. And uh, Luke and other uh, book of Acts says Jesus uh, was with his disciples for 40 days after he rose from the dead. So if you do some quick math, 50, 40, leaves 10. So Jesus ascended to heaven. He told his disciples, wait in the upper room until the gift that I promised you comes. And so they prayed for 10 days in the upper room. And somebody asked me once, I never found that in the Bible where it says they prayed for 10 days. I said, it isn't in the Bible. How do you know they prayed for 10 days? 50 minus 40. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. Jesus was 40 days on the planet. Before he ascended, 10 days in the upper room praying. They prayed 120 people with one mind, with one heart. The Holy Spirit came and they were filled. They preached, Peter preached, 3,000 people got saved. Now, Pentecost is not a Gentile holiday. It's not a Dutch holiday. It's not a Spanish holiday. It's a Jewish holiday. And so everybody that was in Jerusalem when Peter stood up and preached were all Jews. 
And so 3,000 believers began the church, and they were all Jewish. And so began very quickly. The Apostle Paul, you remember, persecuted the church. And he persecuted the church because Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the promised one from the Old Testament, and Jewish people were converting. And so he began to persecute them as a Jew. And the persecution that began in the early church was done by Jews against believers who had once been Jews. And so it says they, they scattered from Jerusalem. The typical Jew would come to Jerusalem for Passover and stay until Pentecost every year. That's what they did as uh, devout Jews. And so when they became believers and the church formed, there were 5,000 shortly after the 3,000 had exploded but they began to be persecuted, so it says they scattered all over, and many of them went to Rome. And churches began, house churches began in Rome. And so, but they were, they were uh, Hebrews. They were Jews. Number uh, four, it appears that temple worship was still being practiced by the Jews in Jerusalem. So the book was written before 70 A.D. 70 A.D. is when the temple at Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. Uh, there was a fellow named Titus. There was a general, and they just annihilated it. There was not uh, just dust left where the temple was. In fact, almost all of Jerusalem was destroyed, and about 90% of Jews were killed by the Romans uh, in 70 A.D. And so when you read the book of Hebrews, it's obvious that the temple is still standing. And so it was written before 70 A.D. Hebrews 9.2, For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which were the lampstand and the table, the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle, which is called the holy of holies. And so there, the, the tabernacle was still standing when the book of Hebrews was written. Hebrews 9. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. But of uh, these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second... Only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is now signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing. Still standing. And so, when was Hebrews written? Before 70 A.D. Number five, most of Rome burned in A.D. 64. About 75 to 80% of the city of Rome burned to the ground, and uh, Nero got the blame for it. It was said that he really, really wanted to renovate the city, and he couldn't get anybody to cooperate with him, so he decided to start a fire and burn the city down. Then they had to uh, renovate the city. Now, nobody knows for sure, but he got the blame for it. And so he wanted to shift the blame, and so what he did is he said, it was the Christians. They did it. And so it began, it began to be widely proclaimed that the Christians had uh, burned Rome. And so Nero began a severe persecution of believers. And if you have seen some movies, read some stories, Fox, Fox's Book of Martyrs, about believers being thrown into lions in, uh, in big theaters where people would gather to watch them killed, uh, tortured by uh, wild animals and by gladiators and burned at the stake. And they would... Uh, tie them up in uh, animal skins, hang them from trees, and, and put tar all over them and torch them, light them up. Uh, it was said that Nero would light his garden with the uh, burning bodies of believers. And so it began to be very, very, very severe, the persecution. 
And that was 64 AD. The Apostle Paul was martyred by Nero during this persecution in and, uh, and about 65 AD. And so if you want to get a timeline, there's some variation in, uh, in, in what is said, but we'll just go with zero at the day Jesus was born. Some will say 3 AD, others, but we'll just go with zero because it's sort of easy to remember. And therefore, he died at 30 AD. He lived to be 30 years old before he was crucified. And so the church began shortly after his death, uh, 30 AD. The apostle Paul began his persecution about 35 AD. The church had five years of fairly free growth, and then the persecution began in earnest. And so he began a, became a believer at 35 AD on the Damascus Road and was martyred in 65 AD. So if I said, how many years did Paul minister? 65, 35, 30 years, you got it. So Paul was around for 30 years, was martyred in 65 AD as a fairly old man. So the uh, book was written, the book of Hebrews, probably about 65 AD uh, because it was obvious that there was great persecution happening because that's the theme of the whole book and we'll get into that. Number six, because of the persecution, many of the Christians were going back to the practice of Judaism. So you could ask yourself the question, if you were a believer and, uh, and believers were getting arrested by Roman soldiers and thrown into arenas with lions, tied to stakes and burned, uh, sewn up in animal skins and torched, uh, and they were just uh, all kinds of incredibly cruel uh, torture that was given to them, what would you do if you were a believer? And so you probably heard of the catacombs of Rome, uh, they were caverns under the city that they would go to and meet and hide. And so they began meeting in secret and uh, not letting anybody know that they were believers. And the, the Jewish believers decided, you know, the Jews don't have it so bad right now. Let's go back to what we once were and abandon our faith in Christ. And so that was happening when this preacher preached this sermon. He was preaching it to believers who were considering just chucking the whole thing. And the whole theme of the book is about uh, being faithful and enduring and not falling away. Number seven, before Christians were martyred, they were given the opportunity to swear allegiance to the emperor and deny Christ. And many did. So they would tie them up to a stake, put wood around them, have a torch there, and say, okay, one last chance. Recant, deny Christ, and declare the emperor as God, and we will set you free. And so a phrase began to be stated then. It had been stated before, but now it became the rally cry of persecuted Christians, and that was, Jesus is Lord Jesus is Lord. And so when they would record Christians being burned at the stake, thrown into lions, and ask, are you a believer in Jesus or do you want to recant? Their answer was, Jesus is Lord. And they would say it very loud. And then they would torch them, throw them to the lions or whatever they would do. Uh, Jesus is Lord. The Apostle Paul declared in 1 Corinthians that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Spirit. And so that began to, be, uh, began to be a rally cry for the church. Jesus is the Lord, at least for those who stayed faithful in their faith in Christ. 
Number eight, many believers simply stopped attending gatherings, identifying themselves with the church. It's too risky. And so the writer will see, the writer uh, deals with this point numerous times when he says, don't forsake gathering together. Don't do it. And uh, that was common because as long as they didn't hang out with other believers, they felt like they were safe. Number nine, many Bible scholars believe that the Apostle Paul is the author of Hebrews, but more uh, do not believe it than do. I used to, but after memorizing it and studying it, I no longer believe that he is the author because it's so much more different than all the other books that Paul wrote. There's a, a lot of difference in every area. It's very possible that Paul was dead when the book of Hebrews was written. Uh, he either was dead or wrote it real close. And uh, First and Second Timothy, especially Timothy, was one of the books that he wrote shortly before he was martyred. You read Second Timothy in Hebrews, and you'll see they're, they're totally different in style and content. So probably the only person who knows who wrote the book of Hebrews is God at this point and those that are in heaven. Uh, but there's lots of conjecture, but nobody really knows. Number 10, most of the New Testament is written in Koine Greek, which is equivalent to dairy farmer English. <clears throat> and so uh, Romans uh, didn't speak Greek. Uh, Alexander the Great conquered the world before uh, Rome did. And Greek became the trade language of the whole known world. And everybody spoke Greek, though they all had their own uh, tongues, whether they lived in uh, Greece or whether they lived in uh, um, Israel or wherever. They all had their native language. But in order to communicate with the whole new, known world where they would trade and travel, Greek was the trade language that everybody knew. Well, because often it was a second language for people, their Greek was pretty crude, and they began to develop what we might call Pidgin Greek, a uh, simple, basic, uh, not real elaborate kind of a Greek, and it was Koine Greek. Paul wrote in Koine Greek. Um, the writer of the Hebrews doesn't. His Greek is very sophisticated, uh, words in the book of uh, Hebrews that are not in any other book in the New Testament uh, in the sense of, of the complexity of the word Number 11, the Greek of the book of Hebrews is the most eloquent of any book in the New Testament, and the author was obviously very intelligent, educated, and well-read. And so that's one of the reasons why many will give uh, Luke the credit for the book of Hebrews. Uh, he was a companion of Paul, and uh, it would have had clout as a book written by Luke because Paul, uh, Paul would have been the one who told him what to write. And so Luke was a doctor, well-educated, and much of the vocabulary in the book of Hebrews is similar to the book of Acts and Luke, which Luke wrote both those books. But uh, my personal opinion is it was a pastor of a church that nobody really knew. The letter became popular because of its content, went everywhere in a persecuted church in the, in the known world, and therefore was included in the canon of Scripture because of that. Number 12, the theme of the book of Hebrews is don't fall away, press on to maturity, don't give up, don't be a wimp. You can do it. <clears throat> I don't know if you read uh, polls, surveys. Now is the time when they're doing a lot of that with politics. But one of the surveys they take periodically is uh, how many people are 
Christians in the United States. And so if you walk down the street of any city, major city in the U.S. and just randomly ask people, are you a Christian, are you a Christian, are you a Christian, are you a Christian, 75% of the people in the United States will say yes. So I don't think personally that 75% of the people that uh, say they're Christians are going to be in heaven when I get there. Uh, there's going to be a lot that Jesus says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. And so uh, the theme of the book of Hebrews is, are you a Christian? Really? Are you a Christian? Or are you one of that gang that just says you are? And so basic theme of the book of Hebrews is that the test, the apostle Paul said, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews has two significant tests to see if you really are a believer headed for heaven. And one of them is called the perseverance of the saints. And we're going to talk about that extensively in the weeks ahead. But it's a pretty simple test, and that is, do you finish or don't you? And so John says, if they leave us, they never were of us. If they abandoned the faith, they never were in the faith. Because if you really are truly born again, you won't abandon Jesus. And so the test that the writer of the Hebrews repeats over and over and over again, at least seven times in the book of Hebrews, is uh, endure. Endure. Hebrews 2.1, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, that would be the Old Testament. Uh, Moses received it from angels. Proved unalterable, every transgression, disobedience received a just penalty. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. An evil, unbelieving, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Basically, he says repeatedly, if you fall away from the living God, there is a period of what you might call grace. There comes a point in which uh, you're not a believer. You never were a believer. problem with us as we discuss this theologically is we're looking at it from our perspective. God's looking at it from his perspective. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows everything. We don't. Our understanding, even of ourself and our own heart, is fairly limited. Jeremiah says, our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so the term Christian, uh, you won't find that in the book of Hebrews. Uh, you know how he defines a believer? He defines a believer as someone who loves the appearing of Jesus. Loves the appearing of Jesus. That's what a believer is. And so he says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Encourage one another day after day, every day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. Pay attention to this. This is the theme of the book. We have become partakers of Christ if, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. We have become partakers of Christ. That is, we are born again if 
And so the question is, now, am I a believer in Jesus? I'm pretty sure I am, but I won't know for sure till I finish the race. Because my heart is desperately wicked. I can fool myself. I can deceive myself into believing a lot of things to be true that aren't true. I wonder how many of those people that uh, the surveyors say, are you a believer? Are saying, I'm not really. I'm just going to say I am. They probably all believe they are for one reason or another. Hebrews 4.1, therefore let us fear. If while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, I have, as I have sworn in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Hebrews 5.11, concerning him, that is Jesus, we have much to say, it is hard to explain. You become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, You have come to need milk, not solid food. Everyone who partakes only of milk, not accustomed to the word of righteousness, he is an infant. Solid food is is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And here's the most famous, if I can use the word famous, of the warnings in the book of Hebrews. Uh, This is the one that I get asked about more than any other passage in the Bible, that people who read it and It sort of confuses them. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. If God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is tilled receives a blessing from God, but if it yields thistles and thorns, it's worthless. Good for nothing, close to being cursed, it ends up being burned. So uh, we'll get to Hebrews chapter 6 and spend uh, uh, some time on that passage. Hebrews 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Can you see the pastor of a church? People are abandoning the faith, going back to their former way of believing, and he's trying to persuade them uh, to stay faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He who promises faithful, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. That is, don't go hiding in the catacombs. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. Encourage one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day drawing near. There's some debate about that. Some would say, well, that's the rapture. Probably the day that you see yourself getting thrown to the lions. Uh, It was almost inevitable as a believer that that was going to happen. As you see the day drawing near, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment, the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who 
has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, has insulted the Spirit of grace. We know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And then the key passage of the book of Hebrews. There's 13 chapters in Hebrews. And so he says what I just read repeatedly through the whole book. Uh, Hebrews 12.1 is sort of the, uh, the pinnacle of the book. And then the last of the book, he gets uh, quite a bit uh, milder in his communication. Starts getting kind of talking about daily stuff. But this is a key passage. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, uh, some discussion over what those witnesses are, but probably those who have already been martyred including those in the book of, uh, of chapter 11, where he recounts all those who had faith prior to them, and many of them, of, of them had been martyred. So talking about those individuals that have already been martyred, uh, already uh, recently and previously in the history of the church, we were su- surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That is, God sovereignly has got your life planned. He has given you a route, a race. Let's run it with endurance. That's kind of... You can talk about bad day fishing. Man, we should have gone fishing yesterday. They caught a lot. Maybe we should have gone tomorrow. And we use the term luck. Uh... These guys, you might say, had some bad luck. They should have been born in 2018 instead of when they were. It was a race that was set before them. It was a race that God sovereignly put in their place. And so he says, let's run with endurance, the race that God sovereignly placed into our life, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And so he uses Jesus as a model, as an example of someone who suffered, was killed, was crucified, was tortured. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. One of the things that the author does in the book of Hebrews says the only way you're going to be able to endure is set your mind on heaven. Uh, you may get martyred, but hallelujah, you get to go to heaven. So here's Jesus. He got crucified, tortured on a cross, and now he is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Think about Jesus, what he did, what he went through for our salvation. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. So you know the author is doing here. He's saying that this that we're, not, that we're going through is really not Nero's idea. He's doing it because God prompted him to do it. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. What you are going through is not the Romans persecuting you. It's not the Jews persecuting you. It's God. He has a path, a, a plan for you. Run it well. Run it well. Finish well. Uh, Be strong. Don't cave in. And whatever God has for you, that's his plan. So 
trust him, believe him, and run the race with endurance. So the question is, how strong is your faith? Is, is it strong enough to stay faithful? Or are you going to bail? And so the writer of the Hebrew says, if your faith isn't strong enough to stay faithful, it's not real, it's not true, it's not saving. And uh, you want to run the race with endurance, fixing your eyes on Jesus and finish well. Um, we've got it fairly easy now in the sense of what we go through, but there's a lot of people in our day that don't finish well. Our problem is not Nero. Our problem is the coast and boats and uh, the lakes and all the things that attract our attention outside of Jesus. And so we drift away, not because we're persecuted, we drift away because the world entices us and we fall in love with the world instead of Jesus. And so the question I ask people sometimes when I call them, say, I haven't seen you for about four months. Uh, are you doing all right? Yeah, I just took I had to take a little time off. So as Jesus comes during your time off, are you leaving with him? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian still. I would think it would be like the saddest thing, absolutely, to stand before Jesus and have him say, depart from me. I don't have a clue who you are. And you know the worst thing about that? Uh, there's no do-overs, no mulligans, no second chances. If you get there and you've been deceived and you think you're in when you're not, nothing you can do about it then. And so it's a good book to study, the book of Hebrews. And it's a good book to continually ask ourselves the question, am I sort of a wimpy Christian that if persecution started, I'd bail? And am I one of those guys that drifts away, falls away, doesn't take much, just a little bit of uh, sunny weather and I'm gone? How real is our faith? How strong is it? And uh, do we run the race with endurance in a straight line with Jesus in front of us? Uh, we have a cultural faith in our country that is a Christianity that's American. And it's pretty soft and pretty easy, pretty comfortable. It's a wide door kind of faith. And Jesus said, many enter that wide door. The end of that path is destruction. Uh, the narrow gate is hard, that not many that find it. So the theme of the book is question your faith. Ask yourself the question, am I an American Christian who likes easy uh, believism or am I a truly devoted follower of Jesus, fully devoted follower of Jesus? And so... Paul said, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. And um, so the word believe in our culture is uh, like, I believe in Abraham Lincoln. I believe in George Washington. People say, I believe in Jesus. That's not what John 3.16 means when it says believe. Uh, there's the essence of devotion, commitment, uh, following, serving, obeying. And uh, so it's important to ask ourselves, Am I really, truly a fully devoted follower of Jesus? My faith real or is it superficial, cultural, not so real? How would I do if I were persecuted? How long would I last? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I do pray that you would just guide us as we go through the book of Hebrews and that we would not be a victim of our culture. 
Uh, Lord, we would not be a victim of the world and the world system that draws us away from you. We would not be a victim of Satan and his attempt to blind and confuse and distort the gospel. And Lord, there are so many people that are deceived and we don't want to be one of them and we want our faith to be real and strong and we want our witness and our testimony to be convincing and to know that you are working through us because we're truly yours. Uh, We love you very much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.